You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a Satellite Sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. Great to be with you today. I'm Leanne Dolan here in the Wondery Sunset Studio. I'm a writer and producer, and uh, I feel like a new woman this week. I just you finished do? up a big project. I can't really talk about it, but woohoo! That's well, all I hey, have to say. Okay. <laughs> well, this is Liz Dolan. I'm with Leanne in the Wondery Studio, and Julie and I are both very happy for you, Leanne. Thank you, Liz. Makes us very happy. Thank you. Jewel? And I'm uh, Julie Dolan. I'm in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I'm an urban nana, an empty nester. And do you know, sisters, today is International Empanada Day. Oh. So if you're within a mile of a baked empanada, you just got to go get yourself one. Yeah, okay. yeah. You really fell for those empanadas when we were in Argentina, <laughs> yes, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> so, uh, so happy International Empanada Day. Thank you, Julie. That is worth celebrating. (laughs) Stop at Porto's on the way home and get an empanada. Um, All right. We have today we have our Satellite Sisters book club. It's duped with Abby Ellen. She has an incredible personal story about like it's a crazy story. It is a crazy story. She almost married a con man. And uh, and then because she's an investigative journalist, then she investigated other, you know, liars, con men, people leading double lives. So she was able to self-analyze and then analyze other people. I, I loved the book, Dupe, and I'm looking forward to talking to Abby. I can't, I can't wait. It's yeah. such a wild tale. It and, is. And uh, she's pretty honest. So this is so it's it's good reading. Yes, exactly. We're also going to be talking about the college admissions scandal. A lot of breaking news there this week. Some of it pretty serious. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about that. Liz is bringing it with Entertaining Sisters. You have a couple of recommendations and yeah. follow-ups. Uh-huh, yeah, hobnobbing with a celeb over the weekend Shh. I want to tell you about. Liz, that's what we rely on you Hollywood. for. Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> always, uh, always. Julie bringing us some breaking news from the New York Times wedding announcement section. Looking I forward know. to if that. If you've got a wedding planned, you just stop in your tracks because here is a whole new concept. Okay. Really change weddings. Fantastic. I just have a couple of quick, before we get into the college admissions, a couple of quick follow ups to last week's show. Yeah. First of all, thank you for your overwhelming response to the cheese boarding story. <laughs> it's I a mean, movement. We had no idea. I, I had some idea I, that it was happening at Instagram. I did not expect it to be happening in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And yes, people are right. It's just putting cheese on a board. And the, <laughs> or even not even cheese. Yeah. It's not conceptually a brand new idea. But as a collective you know, activity, it's fairly new and yeah. as a lifestyle. So just stay tuned because I, we are working up a Satellite Sisters cheese boarding extravaganza. Yeah. Some kind of contest or something. Yes. So if you're thinking about Ooh, what should what should I be working on in my skill set this mm-hmm. spring? You want might want to freshen up your cheeseboarding skills. Because yeah, it's it's a it's a hobby, it's a craft. Yeah. that you can pick up yeah. and that you can eat. Then afterwards, you can eat it. <laughs> exactly, it's fantastic. So thank you for that. We've enjoyed all the pictures that you posted. Keep them coming in yeah. the Facebook group. Yeah, they're fun to see. Fun to see. Okay, and then Julie, last week you did a story about how we're supposed to talk to our adult dogs. Exactly, and we're, and we're not supposed to talk to them like they're dogs anymore. You know, we're not supposed to say, you know, oh, what's happening? Oh, do you want a belly rub? Like, we're not supposed to talk to adult dogs like yeah, that. Yeah, no we're baby talk. supposed to talk to them like they're people. All right, so mm-hmm. I tried that this week with my German <laughs> Shepherd, Steffi. And what I discovered was that it's exactly now like talking to my husband, which is not, <laughs> well, I got a dog. You know, hey, uh, what do you want for dinner? Uh, do you want to go for a walk? Or, do you want to go in or stay out? Like, <laughs> And there's no response, just like my husband. Like, it just defeats the purpose of having a dog if it's just, do you, what do you want for dinner? And they just look at you and say nothing. So I'm, I'm, I don't care what that dog psychologist says. I am just going to continue to go, do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to go for a walk? It's so much more fun. That is all. Okay, that's a good lesson, Leanne. I, I think it will keep it straight between your husband and the dog, too, which is probably better. It is, yes. Yeah, some differentiation. Do you want to stay in or do you want to go out? Do you want to stay in or do you want to go out? <laughs> 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 
Okay, that's good news. Thank that's you. Very okay. Good news. Maybe others have tried this experiment while talking to their dogs as adults. We'd love to know. Uh, well, next up, we uh, we're gonna we're now calling this the Edna and Jim. I've already been to college update. Uh, as you remember, Edna and Jim, those are our parents. And when it came to going to college in the Dolan family, they gave us the keys to the station wagon. A pencils, pencils, and a couple of checks deposit to put down deposits for for testing and for uh, for college. But there was really no involvement at all. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but this case, the Varsity Blues case, we have been watching that very carefully. Um, I'm a former admissions officer. It's of great interest to me, as I think everyone in the country just realizes that you know what a huge scandal this is. Liz, I know there was some uh, breaking news about Felicity Hoffman. Uh, yeah, Felicity Huffman, the the actor, is someone that was in the headlines the moment this case got announced. But now, yesterday, the news came out that she was pleading guilty. And today, there's a story in the L.A. Times that, you know, this is really, really serious. First of all, I want to say that Felicity Huffman is going to plead guilty to paying someone $15,000 to take the test for her child. And um, I was thinking about my SAT test. And I, just again, the contrast, Felicity Huffman versus Edna and Jim. I remember coming home. You know how mom would always leave notes for us on the kitchen table, like scribbled on the back of an envelope, some throwaway little envelope would be, hey, you know, uh, I'll be home at four. or Make could, your bed. Yeah. Could you go to the store and get yeah. X? Whatever. <laughs> or just, don't just, eat anything don't, in the fridge. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I remember coming home one spring afternoon and there was a note from mom on the back of some old envelope. And then I turned the envelope over. And it was my SAT scores. Like it was just, she had just picked up some rando piece of mail and, you know, hadn't opened it, of course, but she just had no idea that was even coming into the house. So, okay, so that, again, that, I feel like this story is a little bit, if you're a baby boomer, this is, I used to walk to school 10 miles there and 10 right. miles back every day. Like, yeah, well, I went to college at the time where, you know, you had to take the test yourself and uh, you had to write your own essay. So it's going to get worse, people. You're going to hear more of this from us. The other thing I noticed about her court appearance, which I just wanted to raise with you guys as a family issue, is her court appearance she made with her brother, not William H. Macy. Now, I understand why if you're the husband, you don't want to get anywhere near this. And you're publicly. not charged. He was and not you're charged. not charged. But the thing that really struck me is when she came out of the courthouse, she was holding her brother's hand. Ew. <laughs> now, we have three brothers. You can't imagine that ever. Ever. Any circumstances. Can you, Julie? That, like, at the lowest moment in your life, you won't, wouldn't want to reach out and grab one of your brother's hands? No. Or the reverse. At the lowest <laughs> moment in our life, can you imagine any one of our three, like, wonderful brothers? We love them and everything, but they're going to reach out and take our hand? I don't think so. No touching. That was our family <laughs> motto. No touching. So it's all very funny until you read this in today's L.A. Times where it says, OK, now she's she's pleading guilty, uh, but she could still go to prison. I mean, she could right. go. Hang on. Let me the possible sentence. Prosecutors have said they would ask for a punishment at the low end of the sentencing scale, possibly less than a year. So Huffman would likely face from four to 10 months in prison as part of her plea. So yeah. it's really not so funny then. No. Like, it's just no, it a good isn't. reminder. There, is, this a is, a there real... is a story out there that um, it doesn't identify the families, but these are families that are involved in the Varsity Blues case, that they have contacted a prison consultant. Uh, there is a Justin Paperny, uh, who is a convicted felon of a white white collar crime. He was... He had SEC fraud. He spent 18 months in jail. And he has a consulting firm called White Collar Advice. And uh, he, for a large fee, he will work with families, in this case, from the Varsity Blues, uh, to consult with them and their lawyers about prison life, uh, about what to do with your family, about while you're in prison, what to do about other assets and various things. And, you know, that he has made, even though he's a convicted felon, he's made a whole, you know, he has a whole consulting firm sort of targeting people that never expected to be in prison that, you know, that need advice from everything like, how do I take a shower in prison to, is there internet? 
things like that. Is there internet? For God's sakes, people. This just says a lot about where our current culture is. It just is. It, well, yeah, so we think about it. It's, it's, yes. Yeah. And think at it like how unbelievable it is to go to prison because you paid someone to take the ACT for I, your child. I mean, it's it just continues to be unbelievable when I just want to point out there are many, many schools where you don't need to submit standardized test scores anymore. Yes, like right. there are eight million colleges who would have loved to get their kid. This, yeah, it's right, just nonsense. Right. You know, plenty yeah. elite. Sort of another story this week that's coming out that's not uh, that was not part of the Varsity Blues investigation, but Harvard has launched a review into a lucrative sale of the fencing coach's home to the father of a prospective student. So here's the story. Peter Brand, who is the head coach at Harvard of the men's and women's fencing team, he owned a house in Needham, Massachusetts that should should have been on the market for about five five hundred and forty nine thousand, but he, it was sold for nine hundred and eighty nine thousand dollars, which is that's paying eighty percent more than sort of the ask, the market price for this house, and it was sold to uh, a businessman in Washington D.C. Zizak, and he um, he then never lived in this house. And then 17 months later, sold the house for $324,000 loss. Uh, in the meantime, Peter Brand and his wife moved into a $1.3 million condo in Cambridge. Now, the, the businessman, Zhao, said he's done nothing wrong. He had one son that was currently in, or had graduated from Harvard, and his younger son was applying to Harvard. Um, but he just saw this as a good investment. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. But this yeah, is just skeptical. another example of the, you know, just the tremendous corruption that's out, possible corruption that's out there targeting individuals that work at these elite institutions, trying to get any kind of advantage, trying to, you know, may, you know, whatever, uh, and how, how, you know, everyone at these institutions really needs to take a very hard look at some of this corruption. Yeah, it's amazing. There's a fantastic story about what this culture is among the parents in Online at the Atlantic right now by Caitlin Flanagan. And I know a bunch of you listeners have posted it in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group, so you can you can just see it there. It's called They Had It Coming. And Caitlin Flanagan, who's a longtime writer, she was originally, when she came out of a PhD program in English and was an English teacher at a super fancy high school here in the L.A. area. Which she describes in great detail physically and culturally, but never names, which is part of the fun of the article. Because, Leanne, it's pretty clear what school it is. Yeah, it's Harvard Westlake. Yeah. (laughs) A school I've never liked. My son's school played them in soccer and in volleyball. You just never liked that? We didn't like going there. We didn't like that. I I didn't like anything about that culture. (laughs) I didn't like it. Well, you were right. Anyway, so she, Caitlin, had been an English teacher there for a little while. Then they asked her to become the college counselor. And this was 25 years ago. And the way she writes about it, is so chilling. She said, the new job meant I had signed myself up to be locked in a small office, appointment after appointment, with hugely powerful parents and their mortified children. As I delivered news so grimly received that I began to think of myself less as an administrator than as an oncologist. Along the way, they said such crass things, such rude things, such greedy things, such borderline racist things that I began to hate them. They, in turn, began to hate me. Yeah. Yeah. You can imagine. Imagine what it's like now. This was 25 years ago. And I was thinking back to our high school, Julie. I believe our college counselor was like someone's mom, right? No, it was was Sister Leslie. She was very nice. (laughs) Julie and I went to Catholic school. And she had some college brochures and, at the time, a CD, CD uh, a couple of CDs from college. No, Leslie was doing all the college counseling, Liz. Anyway, I think... The compare and contrast is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. Caitlin Flanagan gets the culture of it right. So give that a read. And one more thing she says is the word entitlement, even if even in its full splendid range of meanings, doesn't begin to cover the attitudes on display. And I think I think that's what we're really saying. I think that's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. We don't take any joy in reporting these stories, but it, it is 
it is an exposure of this, you know, of, of these people with such sense of entitlement and privilege and the, and the tremendous pressure that they put on these elite institutions and, and the corruption that then uh, follows. Right. Yeah, and, and why do you want to cheat your child's way into the wrong college for them? Yeah. That's part of it, too. Like, then it's really about you. You're not doing something for your child. Many you're, years ago. You're doing the, something for you. Yeah, many years ago on the Chaos Chronicles, I said, you know, we used Which to Which was your previous podcast. Yes. We used to want a better life for our children. Now we want a better resume for our children. Mm-hmm. And that is, those are two different things. Yeah. Those are yeah. two different values. Yeah. Two different Good values. Good point. Okay, speaking of lying and cheating. Yeah, more lying and cheating coming up. (laughs) It's our lying and cheating special today on Satellite Sisters. It's so true. But don't worry. At the end, we're going to bring it all home. Uh, (laughs) A lighthearted touch. Yeah. Um, We're going to be talking to Abby Ellen next. She's a journalist. She's written for the New York Times for years. She also has written for uh, the Wall Street Journal, Psychology Today, Newsweek, The Village Voice. Uh, She's been a journalist for a long time, but somehow she got duped. She got duped by a guy who claimed he was a doctor to Osama bin Laden in Guantanamo Bay. And that's all. And she fell for it. And she fell for it. And she got engaged to him. And then when she got unengaged, she really took a strong look at dupers and dupees. (laughs) So that is what we're going to be talking about next on Satellite Sisters. Liz, you know we love talking about Framebridge, don't we? We do. (laughs) Because because there are just so many fun things to frame, Leon, aren't there? Right. Anything. You can just upload a digital photo from your phone and they can print it and frame it. And that is a gift right there, a gift people would love getting. But Liz, you recently had quite an exciting Framebridge experience. Would you like to share? Would you like to? I talked about how when we were at the Bruce Springsteen concert, I was with our brother Dick, his wife Susan, his two kids. And one of the roadies threw us the set list at the end of the show, which was amazing to get the actual set list for the actual concert in Los Angeles. And we're like, oh, yeah, any day now, that's going to be in a place of honor in their home. Sure enough, Leon, they have already frame-bridged it and sent it to us with a picture. So I'll be in Bend next week, so I'll get to see it. But it's just excellent use of the frame-bridge resources, the Bruce Springsteen set list. Fantastic. And this is gift giving season. So if you have a graduation coming up, a wedding, a shower, Mother's Day, Father's Day, look around. I'm sure you have something fun you can frame and Framebridge can do it for you. It's easy and it's affordable to frame just about anything. You get fair and transparent upfront pricing based on the size of your item. There's a great selection of frames. And as we've said in the past, fast service, free shipping, great for gifts. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Liz, not many things in life give you a happiness guarantee, but Framebridge does. If you're not 100% happy with your piece, they will make it right. So if this sounds like- But you are going to be happy, okay? (laughs) That's just the Satellite Sisters promise. You're going to be out. You're going to be happy you did it. See why Framebridge has been trusted to frame over 2 million pieces. Visit framebridge.com or see a local Framebridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything, like a Bruce Springsteen set list. That's framebridge.com. Thanks, Framebridge. We're back. We're here with Abby Ellen. She is the author of our Satellite Sisters book club pick for this month, Duped, Double Lives, False Identities, and the Con Man I Almost Married. Abby, it's so great to have you back on Satellite Sisters. Thank you so much. All right. We're going to get right into it because we have to start with your deception. And just to (laughs) let people know, you were engaged to a guy who was basically a straight up liar. Uh, And we're going to talk about him. But I want to start with you when that when this happened to you. Where were you in your life and in your career? And at the time, would you have characterized yourself as like a vulnerable person? You know, it's so funny. I was no, I don't (laughs) categorize myself as a vulnerable person, period. But I was 42 years old at the time. This is about eight years ago. And um, so, yes, I'm 50. Um, and I, um, I, I, you know, I thought it was time to get married. I thought it was time to, or at least be with somebody, which I never really cared about at all. That was never my goal. My goal, you know, I wanted to meet someone I really liked who I wanted to be madly in love, but I didn't care about marriage. But I, I thought it was time. I wanted to adopt. I liked the idea of adopting. So I wanted to move forward. So, but, but I was conscious of the fact that he was a good guy. 
I mean, that's what, that was the decision. He wasn't beautiful. He wasn't physically, he was, I mean, he was, he was cute enough. He was fine, but it wasn't that. It was that he was good. He was decent. He was kind. He was a doctor. He was trying to make a difference in the world. He was in the Navy. He was opening a possible for kids with cancer in Iraq and Afghanistan. So he, and he adored me. So all of these things were like good signs. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah none of them of were true, right? And your mother was happy too, right? That well, was important. Jewish doctor, of course she was happy. But I mean, <laughs> you know, she she really liked him. Like every like I, I have a lot of friends who of all ages, and I have a lot of my friends who are who are like in their seventies and eighties now, and they had met him and they all liked him. And these are people who are shrewd about the world, you know, and who have seen a lot and have lived through a lot, and every single one of them liked him. Well, you're a journalist, so you're naturally pretty skeptical, too. Do you think the fact, uh, from what I understand, I read the book, obviously, you met him through work, like you called him for a work thing and then reconnected. Do you think that actually, like, established his credentials in your mind that you met him through work? Yes, yes. Well, here's the thing. He really was a doctor. And yeah. he really was okay. in the Navy. So, so the thing is that he he was like a jazz musician. Like there was this through line and then he just kind of improvised other things that were not true. So he was a doctor and he actually was in the military. But at the time when I met him, he was in private practice in Beverly Hills. Story didn't run for a year. When I called a year later to fact check is when I found out that he was in, in had, had left and had rejoined, as he said, the Navy. Um, and that he had been a Navy SEAL and that he had worked for the CAA and he was always on these secret missions. None of that stuff was true. That yeah. was the stuff that was not true. Yeah. But uh, yes, to, to your point, yeah, I think it was, he, I didn't meet him online. I didn't meet him on Tinder. I didn't meet him, you know, in an app. It wasn't, it was, he, he, he was a doctor and I quoted him in a newspaper article. Right. Seemed like ideal. Right. Yeah. Great way to meet somebody. Right. <laughs> so you thought. So, so I thought. So when did the first red flags, a term which I believe was invented for your relationship, actually? I'll tell you, the first red flag came when I, I actually the very first night we went out because I finally met him. Um, but when I finally met him, you know, we went out to dinner at the Four Seasons in New York and he told me that he had been the medical director at Guantanamo, which actually was true for a little while. He was there um, and that he met some very high level terrorists. And one of them was uh, he described somebody who sounded a lot like Osama bin Laden. And I said, that is not possible. <laughs> yeah, not possible. Bin Laden is not a Gitmo. And he said, I said, a secret like that wouldn't wouldn't be able to to stay secret. And the president um, that was Bush at the time would never let that stay secret. And he said, Bush doesn't know. And I thought to myself, all right, look, that sounds insane. Okay. <laughs> yes, but it does. Let me, let me put this out there. Okay. Let me just put this out there. Homeland, zero dark 30, like all of these things, these movies, James Bond, Jason Gordon, like you have these movies and you have things that we don't know about. I mean, we still have words missing from the Pentagon papers. Like things are not always what they seem. So maybe that made no sense, but maybe there was some validity to it. And so that, I think, I think there was a, bit, a part of me that felt like, well, one way or the other, I'm going to get a story out of this guy. <laughs> okay. Oh, so maybe it wasn't going to be romance. You were going to write it. You, you would just deal, deal with it as a professional relationship. Huh? No, or it would be romance, but it would be, wow, you know, cynical, suspicious journalist marries man who has secret jobs she can't know about. How do you deal with that kind of relationship? Or, it sounds like a good movie plot. Well, right. No, no, that's, that's what it really was. And I was going back and forth with my friends. I would say, look, I don't know what this guy is saying. Like, I don't know if anything is true or not. And my very, very, very dear friend, Jill said, well, this is the lesson you need to learn, obviously, is how there's not, you can't know everything. And so I was really fighting with myself as a journalist and as a person. You know, the difference between being someone who's suspicious and cynical and questions everything, which I do, and somebody who's like trusting and just sort of going with the flow. That's what I was trying to do. Okay. Does all right. that make sense? It does. does make yeah. Sense? It makes it, it totally makes sense in the moment. I mean, I was thinking when I read like <laughs> particularly the first 25 pages of Dute, which is all about your story and it's so compelling and so fun. It's fun to read, but I thought Wow, she must feel like an idiot writing this all down, all down you know, because that sounds crazy that somehow this guy at the Four Seasons knows Osama bin Laden is a Gitmo and the, and the president doesn't. 
it sounds it sounds insane and my mother is the yeah. one actually who said when i told her she said abby there's something wrong with him and i got mad at her uh, i i i was really you know that nothing was verifiable right okay and, and right. The, minute, the minute i was able to verify a, a, a lie i got out of the relationship it only lasted a year right so so at the minute, so until I could verify something, I was trying to, I was questioning everything. I mean, he would get so mad at me because he would say, you interrogate me and you don't trust me and this and that. And so, I mean, it's not like I was just sitting there happily. You know, I was, I was really, really fighting with myself and ultimately with him because I didn't believe half the stuff he said. And I was trying so hard. He had an answer for everything. But it, so it lasted about a year, but you did get engaged. You moved to Washington, D.C., where he was at the Pentagon and you went to get an, a, like one of your many masters. You went I, to get I, another. I, well, my, my second useless masters, I went to Johns Hopkins right. and uh, international relations, which I need to say this. I was going to do that anyway. It just was another coincidence when I met him that he was going to be st- he was going to be there at the Pentagon, which he actually that was another thing that was true. He really did go to the Pentagon like he was working on a on a task force to open up a hospital with for kids in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Like that was true. Yeah. So that was the other thing. Like he just sort of mixed fact, fact and fiction, but yeah, we lived together in Washington at the Watergate, <laughs> which makes me laugh. <laughs> it's the funniest Such thing. Such a ever. perfect place for your <laughs> love nest. Yes. Right. There's going to be deception. Where do you go? The Watergate. Um, and we lived together and, um, you know, I was questioning him more and more. Um, and I was studying with these, these great, thinkers and 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 a lot of my classmates were in the military and I would ask them if the staff the stuff he told me was true and um and some people would say yeah it's possible that they had operations medals for operations that did not officially exist you know these undercover operations and other people said the guy's pulling your leg so again I didn't get any any clear-cut answer um but he told me for example that he met his ex-wife when he rescued her, when she was held hostage in Iran. And I said, when were we in Iran? Like what, because the dates didn't add up. It wasn't something that happened in 79. And he said, oh, it was a secret mission. You would never have heard about it. And I thought that's weird. And then he said he was held hostage himself in China where he was, uh, he was detained in a little cell and they beat him every night. And that was why he slept with the lights on and the TV blaring. And that's why he sometimes had screaming nightmares, which was true. He did. And he did all of those things. So it was very, you know, there were these disconnects. I couldn't make sense of anything. Right. But you got engaged. And then, Julie, you had a question about the post-engagement period. You know, know, one of the things I like about your book, Abby, because it is a book about lying, is you fess up to your own (laughs) lie. I was really kind of shocked when I read that. But I thought, hey, good for you that when you... Came, maybe you can tell my sister Liz what you were lying about. Well, now, what were you shocked about with that? Well, I, I just didn't know people did that. But now I'm I'm checking out people's engagement rings very carefully. Oh, oh what? You, okay, you now your... you need to tell me, Abby. Okay. You're talking about the fake ring? The fake ring, yes. I, think oh. I thought it was so shocked that you were, you know, that you opened up about that. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. You know, and people, some people thought that was not even a big deal. So the guy proposes to me and he makes a big deal about... I'm going to get you a $30,000 ring and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I don't need a $30,000 ring. You know, 10000 is fine. So he said, <laughs> so he gets me this ring and it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little, you know, little rock, which is fine, you know, but I joked that I'd had larger pimples. And um, so at one point I thought to myself, this was a guy, you know, and he was older. I was 42. He was 58. So, and, I, and he was sort of, he was very important and, and I felt almost protective, if that makes any sense. Like I wanted him to, I wanted people to think that he could afford some kind of great, you know, nice, I didn't know, I don't know. I just didn't want them. Maybe it sounds shallow and materialistic, but it really wasn't. It was very protective, if that makes sense. And so I got a fake ring. It cost, I don't know, 50 bucks. I went and I bought a ring and it was, I don't know, maybe two carats, nothing humongous. But I just, I, I went around with my fake ring, you know, and he said to me, why are you wearing a fake ring? And I said, you know, I didn't want him to understand. So I said, well, I'm afraid that someone's going to steal the other one, which is not, I mean, no one wanted that other ring, but that's what I did. So I give you credit for, because that is, that is something you probably wouldn't want to admit to, except to maybe your best friends and uh, so it That's so it added a lot to like okay I'm I'm in on Abby's story I mean if she's gonna come clean on this 
uh, I, I'm following this story. Yeah. Well, look, we lie about it. We, I mean, people lie about everything. And so a lot of everything and we tell lies, you know, there's that some people say we tell lie one every 10 minutes. I mean, there, you can get statistics um, about how many lies that we tell. So, you know, and then there's white lies that we all tell on a daily basis. And then there's major deceptions that we don't do, you know, but I live in, I believe, pretty much nothing of what I hear these days. Really nothing. Oh, really? From men or women. Nothing. 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 <laughs> so, so eventually you break up. You do the deceptions too much. You start to see the cracks in his story and you break up. And um, he doesn't He doesn't really seem that bothered by it. Would you no, agree? No, he's really not. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you the truth. He's really not. And that was, that was really, my ego was not happy about that. I mean, you know, he, he was seemed a little sad, but no. And that's because he had already moved on to someone else that he, he was sort of, he was courting a woman that he had known 30 years ago. And um, she was a photographer who lived in Maine and he was courting her while we were together. And I guess he started seeing her right after. Um, and she's, this is significant to the story, but, but this is, this was also his pattern. He would go from one woman to another woman to another woman because what I eventually found out is that while he was engaged to me he had a month earlier he had proposed to another woman in Florida whom he'd been living with for two years and he walked out on her in February of 2010 he said I got to go on a secret mission I'll call you when I come back like he always did I'll see you when I come back and he never came back and the secret mission was Operation Abbey yeah. and that was when we met wow. each other wow. that was when we met each other yep at the Four Seasons. So the secret yep. mission cover story is very useful as a setup. <laughs> if you're a total con man, that, that I would say that's the way to go. Oh, my God, for sure. For sure. I mean, oh, yeah. If I ever want to, um, I mean, that's, if I ever want to do anything now, even if it's, you know, I just want to go to a movie and not not tell anyone where I am. I'm just telling them I'm going on a secret mission. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, we're having fun with this, but you write in the book that you really beat yourself up for a year and a half after this, like flagell- self-flagellating, yeah. it's my fault, it's his fault, what's wrong with me? Yeah. And then that led yeah. to this whole book because Duped is not only your story, but then you do your investigative journalist thing where you actually look at other liars and double lives and false identities and why people do that. So why did he do it? Like, I don't even understand how these people sleep at night. Apparently you know, he wasn't. Or how to but, keep it all straight. Gosh, That's what, and you know how they do, I'll tell you how they do it before I tell you why. How they do it is because they're very smart and they're very, they're very creative. And the smarter you are and the more creative you are, the more, the easier it is for you to take license with things um, and liberties and just fabricate. So, and to keep everything straight. Yeah, that was really tough. But he kept, what he did was, at least in this guy, was that he would keep his story straight. You know, he, his son, who was 12 when I met him, really thought his father had nailed bin Laden. He, he thought later on, he, th- he thought his father was responsible for the raid. He thought his father was a military hero. He wanted to be like his father. So this guy was lying to everybody. His brother-in-law thought that he was really important. His aunt, everybody saw, thought he was. So he was keeping, he kept his story straight by telling everybody the same story. Mm-hmm. Everybody got the same story. So it's not like he spun different things to different people. But he didn't have me before questioning him. He didn't have someone like me questioning him. And frankly, he didn't have someone like my mother. My, he told us that when we went to get our apartment at the Watergate, I didn't go to the board meeting, but he went. And he said that interviewing him at the board was Placido Domingo and, yeah, and uh, William Kennedy Smith. And he said that William Kennedy Smith, you know, he said, whom he knew, he said, if William Kennedy Smith even looks at you, I'll kill him. And then he said to me, and then my mother, when he told my mother this, my mother said, well, I don't know how that's possible because Placido Domingo is on tour in Europe right now. And so she, she questioned him too. And he just changed the subject. Yeah. So, you know, but why he did it is what you asked me. Um, He was never, he always wanted to be a brain surgeon. And he never was able to. So, Thank goodness, I guess. <laughs> seriously, you don't want that person mucking around in your head. But uh, literally and metaphorically, um, he was never able to be a brain surgeon. He didn't cut. He wasn't a good student. 
And so, which he admitted. And so I think he felt so bad about himself that he just fabricated this stuff, which, which was so, it was so sad because you know what? He was a good doctor. Yeah. And he had been in private practice for real in Beverly Hills in a very swanky practice whom I eventually contacted them. And I said, why did he leave? Because that was the other thing that kept bothering me and my mother. Why, who gives up a private practice in Beverly Hills? And what he had told us was that it was too devastating because his, his marriage failed and it was too devastating to be there. What I later learned was that the company pretty much asked him to leave. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he was lying yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. you actually write, though, I thought this was kind of really emotional for me, like that you felt like you were in an abusive relationship. Once you got out and you looked back on that time in D.C., you called it coercive control. And what is that? Because I'm sure there are other people maybe listening right now who are like, this story is sort of familiar. So what is coercive control? What did you learn about that? Uh, if, yes. If you saw Dirty John, you will know what coercive control is. And I've written about it. Funnily, I've written about it in the New York Times before. And it's a crime in England, but not here. It's when there are all, it's not physical abuse. It's emotional abuse, but it, it involves manipulation, lying, gaslighting, control. It's when your partner, and usually it's a man for a woman, uh, doing this to a woman, when they have this inordinate, they are manipulating you. And by manipulating you and making you question your own sanity and your own reality, they're getting control over you. And it's a form of abuse. And so there are people trying to make it a crime here. And um, if you saw Dirty John, Deborah Newell is very active in having that happen. Because that's why, I don't know if you, did you see the, the yeah, you might listen have to the podcast. Yeah, listen That's to the from podcast. our same network. Yeah. You remember when he was giving her uh, every morning, he would give her the, the juices? Do you remember? He yes. would, every morning he'd wake up with a new juice. That could be construed as loving, or it could be construed as somebody who's totally trying to get you under their spell. And so you feel kind of, you know, beholden to them. And that's what he did. And, and so that's, it's somebody who's, I, I interviewed a woman whose husband wouldn't even let her have his, her own toothbrush. Like she made them share a toothbrush. I mean, that was oh. degree. Mm. I mean, really can be serious manipulation to that extent or not. It can be to a lesser extent, but it's, 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 um, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty, it's insidious. And it, this is not to minimize anybody who has been physically abused, but the psychological abuse, people who've said, who I've talked to who've been, they say psychological abuse for them has been far worse than emotional, than physical. Well, is that why you write in the book in Duped that um, being duped contaminates your entire sense of self? Is, mm -hmm. is that, you know, is that why? Because you've been this coercive you, controlled you, you and now you, you don't know who you are? Yeah. You question your reality. I mean, this guy would tell me the sky was purple and make me think there's something wrong with me for believing it's blue. I would, I didn't, you know, and, and what they do, what, what really these liars do. And, and if you think about it, I just keep the example I always come back to actually is Lance Armstrong. Yeah. If you remember when he was being confused of, can, uh, accused of doping for years, he went on the offense. He attacked mm -hmm. everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everybody else was wrong, but him, he was the victim here. And that's exactly what they did. That's what they do. And that's what this guy did. You don't trust me. You have a problem. No wonder you've been single all this time. You have trust issues. And oh, huh. it make me think there was something wrong with me. And I write this example in the book, but it was really devastating. My, I sent my friend's kid a, a birthday present and a card. And I asked this guy, the guy who was with the commander, if he would mail it. And he did. And the, she never got the card. She never got the card. She never, every day I would call her and say, did you get it? Cause I didn't believe that he actually mailed it. And it finally came back to us. I had forgotten to put a stamp on it, oh. but I remember I would just felt like, Oh my God, I'm going crazy here. I really yeah. felt and gaslighting, you know, comes from the movie. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. It's a psychological term. And in that for listeners, you know, when Ingrid Bergman, She's being, she thinks she's going crazy because all these weird things are happening in the house. Specifically, the gas lights are flickering. And her husband, Charles Boyer, says, no, my darling, you're imagining it. There's something wrong with you. They're not flickering. But of course they are. And he's doing the flickering. Yeah. So now you've lived through this. You, you said you had no problem telling everybody about this. Cab drivers, <laughs> you know, grocery store checkers. You've done yeah. all this research. Yeah. Uh, why do you think you got duped? I think I got duped for that ex because there were so many different reasons. One is that is that 
his stories were so ludicrous they had to be true yeah yeah you know yeah you're trained he just nothing made sense and because nothing made sense i thought well who would lie like this you'd have to be absolutely crazy to do that i also was really trying to give him the benefit of the doubt and i was really and i and i say this is that i really was trying to the tension between being a person and being a journalist Mm -hmm. but i have a whole chapter called i knew but i didn't know and that's where i talk to people who were duped in other arenas. And they said, I knew something was off. I just, I didn't really know. Like I didn't, you know, the right side of my body knew it, but the left side didn't want to see it. I mean, that's how, that's how anybody gets duped. We don't want to admit it. We don't want to think anybody would do this to us. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you write in a book Abby, that, go ahead, Jill. I said, but then Abby, later you write that you have another relationship and it, and you get duped again. Yeah. Well, that was a that was a that was what I call it. That was a your basic average dupage. <laughs> he, um, <laughs> yeah. He told me. That, he <laughs> told me. He told me that he was separated from his wife of twenty five years, and in, in reality, they were separated the way you know you're separated by your, you know your person you're sitting next to at the dining room table, you know, by a yeah. salt shaker. I mean, they were not separated. <laughs> um, so that was, you know, that was a couple of months. So was I duped? Yeah, I was because I kept trying to figure it out. I was kept trying to hear the truth and I didn't believe that somebody, he knew the whole story about this commander. So I didn't believe that he would do it again. Like somebody would be that mean and, yeah, right. and that they were, he was. So that was, you know, and I got out of that. I mean, one thing in my little defense that I like to point out and I was very lucky is that I leave these relationships. Yes. I didn't think things were, you know, I left this guy, the commander in December of 2010. I didn't find out what really happened to him um, until March of 2012. So I had a year and a half where I thought, wow, I'm such a terrible person because I left this guy, which might have been the best thing that ever happened to me. And I didn't realize how right I was, how right my gut was until I got a phone call a year and a half later. From NCIS. (laughs) I mean, I didn't even think that was real. Yep. Naval criminal investigator. (laughs) I mean, I almost dropped the book there. I was like, she got a call. Yeah, not not Mark Harmon, but a real <laughs> real guy. And he said, "There's a doctor who's been writing prescriptions for narcotics and Vicodin and and Viagra, actually, and all these things. And he's been stealing your identity, along with many people he works with at the Pentagon and all these other people. His, his dead mother, all these people, his ex father in law." And he said, um, do you know this guy? Do you have a prescription? And I said, I know this guy. And no, you know, I like Valium, and so I don't have a prescription for Vicodin. <laughs> so this guy went to jail. Wow. Yes. Okay. That good. Then I kicked into gear. So, so it was. That's when I started researching everything. Um, but I. So I spent a good year and a half, really not not knowing what, but knowing that I had to get out. And the same thing with this other guy is, you know, I thought I found out he was lying to me, and that was it. I was out. Yeah. I was not happy about. It. I was devastated, and I was pissed, and I was furious with myself, you know, for even getting involved. But especially when romance is involved, you want to believe. You yeah. want to believe in somebody. You want to believe in love. You want to yeah. have. You want to trust them. You yeah. You want to give them a chance. Sure. Yeah, you want to give yeah. them a chance, and you want and yeah. And if you love them, it's you know that makes even more sense. And I, listen, and I say this because I'm like I don't condemn anybody for not leaving a relationship like this because I didn't have kids. I didn't have mortgage. I didn't have bills. I didn't have anything tied up with this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I could leave, but now imagine you're in a situation like that and you have kids, you have a mm-hmm. mortgage, you rely on them for financial stuff or whatever. It's not easy. It's not mm-hmm. easy to just walk away. Yeah. You write that in the book that you, you understand now what trapped yes. really means. You write I that. Do. Wow. Book. You really read it. Yes. <laughs> yes. I took notes. That's, That's what we do here at Satellite Sisters. Maybe you were lying. No. <laughs> it's a hallmark of the Satellite Sisters book club that we <laughs> read, that read the book. Your show. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Spread the word. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, I mean, we have to go, but um, can did you just get a dog after this? I'm just, <laughs> did you just get a nice rescue dog who will love you, you know no matter what? what? I, got, I got a, a boyfriend in Brazil who doesn't speak English. That's what I got. <laughs> okay. <And I'm> like, <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.
That's what I got. So. <laughs> Good luck with that. And you still have your cubic zirconium ring. So you're I, all I still set. have that so I can pretend that I'm married and no one has to know the difference. No one will bug me. Exactly. Thank you so much. Thanks, Abby. We loved having you on. Really fascinating book. Uh, lots you. in here beyond Abby's story. It's fascinating. Julie, you said a good book club pick. Plenty to chew on. I, I do think it's an excellent book club. Yeah, pick. and yes. I think it's great for Almost writers. Anyone yes. writing about an evil person, you're going to want to <laughs> pick up Duped by Abby Ellen. Thanks, Abby. Thank you. Hey, it's Liz and Leon here, and we want to thank Pros for supporting this episode of Satellite Sisters. Now, you know, Liz, I've been out and about with my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical. <laughs> the book is getting rave reviews. I'm very happy. But you know what else is getting rave reviews? My hair, Liz. My hair from Pros is getting... <laughs> reviews. Leon, I am not surprised. You have been on that pros hair regimen for quite a while. I mean, you have good hair anyway, but now you have great hair because you've really paid attention to it. Well, Liz, pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And you know what? I love the regimen they have me on. I, do I take the hair vitamins every day? Yes, I do. Do I use my shampoo and conditioner made especially for Leon Dolan? Yes, I do. Do I sometimes use the leave-in conditioner when I, my hair's really dry? I do. And I even have a pre-scalp thing that they give me. Okay, pros, you, you're the boss. I'll take it. <laughs> you tell me what my hair needs. That sounds good. And here's the thing. It's personalization, Liz. For yeah. millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely Leon's. Okay? And I'm I'm using it. Pros isn't just better for you. It's also better for the planet, Liz. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. So, Pros, we love you. I love the photos of my hair. Couldn't be happier. <laughs> photos of your hair. There are people in the photos, too. That's the thing about a book tour. Everybody yeah. has their picture taken with Leon and then post it. So yeah. the hair is important. <laughs> Couldn't be happier, Pros. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin. They're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash sisters. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash sisters. And pros is spelled P-R-O-S-E, pros.com slash sisters. Thanks, pros. We're back. Are you planning a wedding? Well, you got to listen to this. Uh, <laughs> Here is a new twist. Uh, you know how much we love reading the wedding, the vows section of the New York Times, but here is a, here's a new twist. Cute couple, Brian Schaefer and Stevie Mac, they wanted to get, they were going to get married, but they wanted to be married, but they didn't want to get married. They were trying to figure out how to have an intimate, nice family wedding with friends but every time they put it together, it would balloon to 100 plus people. And they thought that's not right. So they came up with what they're calling a deconstructed wedding reception. Mm -hmm. So they had one ceremony where 11 people were at that. And then after that, they held 12 receptions. <laughs> yeah. 12. How about that? How'd that work? So, I mean, how'd they do well, it? What they did is they, what they really enjoyed, they figured out what they really enjoyed was having small dinners with friends. So they set up a series of small dinners with their friends, you know, and they mixed people up. They did eight in New York. They did several in San Francisco. They even did one in Tel Aviv. And in each case, they picked a top shelf restaurant. So that was nice. So it was fine dining. They got a private room and then they had a program where it would start off with champagne and they would introduce all the random guests because not everyone knew each other. And then they would have photos from the wedding and then they would talk about the wedding ceremony. In fact, they would read an excerpt from the ceremony. And at the end of the dinner, they would ask the guests to sign a guest book and, and write something. And they found this to be a surprising and magical way to celebrate their wedding uh, with family and friends. What do you think of this? I thought this was fantastic. Well, because the most common thing you always hear from couples who have just gotten married is that they didn't get to talk to people at the reception. It just flew by right. them. It was just all, and it was all like, it was so expensive and it was so big and it was so complicated. And so like, yeah, 
break it down. It's basically, it's not so much 10 receptions as 10 small dinner parties where they could really talk to their loved ones about their wedding and the meaning to them. I really kind of liked the idea. I I, I like the idea, too. I thought it was interesting. Plus, the other other thing you hear from wedding guests is, oh, my gosh, we have to use our summer vacation and all our frequent flyer miles to fly to New York for that wedding we can't really afford. So it really relieves a lot of pressure on the guests to celebrate with you in their own hometown. That's fantastic. And you come to them. That's great. Hey, I just think with weddings today, whatever you want to do. I yeah, yeah. I, I'm a firm believer in that, Leanne. I yeah. think that, that that I'm for whatever you want to do, whatever makes sense. That's what you should do. That's how you should celebrate. And that will be wonderful. This seems exhausting to me yeah. <laughs> for the couple to keep doing that, uh, you know, over and over again with the champagne and the photos and reading the, from the, but I, I, but I, it's, so I suppose it was a nice way to do that. And, uh, um, and I guess there weren't, I, I, and they gave a very nice gift to their friends by paying for these beautiful dinners, which they then said was, you know, the total cost of all these dinners was still a lot less than what they would have spent if they had a full-blown wedding reception. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm all for doing things that are very meaningful. This just seemed exhausting Yeah, to it's me. like a book tour. It does sound <laughs> like a book tour. It sounds, right. It's like a 12-stop right. book tour. It's and just you know this, how exhausting those are, Leah. They are, just but like they're exciting. Over again. Yep. I would wonder that, you know, some of the moments would get a little stale. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. You'd but, have to well, watch that's why they yeah. said... That's why they said they never did more than one dinner at a specific restaurant, that if they had just kept repeating oh. at the same place, <laughs> that it would have felt to them, they, they might have gotten a little bit bored. I like it. Well, congratulations to Brian and Steve, you know, uh, and if you want to keep having these receptions, go right ahead. <laughs> yep. We're for whatever you want to do to celebrate your love and your marriage. Okay. We're up to entertaining sisters. I want to mention a couple of quick things. First, I don't know if you guys saw it the other night. Uh, on TV when uh, the U.S. women's national team was playing. At halftime, they saluted the 1999 women's national team that won the 1999 Women's World Cup. So that's the team that's Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy, all of those women that you remember. And they were all there on the field at halftime. It was... (laughs) It was, it was great. really great. It was great. It, it was really fun to watch. I had worked on the marketing for the 1999 Women's World Cup. So I was there at the opening match and at the closing match in the Rose Bowl, the one everyone remembers. Lee, and you were there too, right? I was right? there. Most exciting sporting event I've ever been to. Yeah. Yeah. It that was, was a amazing. Day. It's hard to believe that that was 20 years ago, but that's that, hard to believe. It is. <laughs> yeah, that part's not good. <laughs> you did. You didn't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those rare occasions where you know people say, "Well, that team really changed the game." Well, this team really changed the game, like forever. The women. The reason the women have so many rights now and have a voice and are, by the way, suing for equal pay and they're off to the World Cup this year is because that team in 1999 was just such a great combination of women and power and skill and, you know, a willingness to uh, to stay noisy. So good for you, 99ers. It was great to see you on the field. Uh, the other thing I did Sunday is... I went to a screening of the TV show Bodyguard, which is a Netflix show. And I know we talked about this originally, right? We we have yes, already we, re- both, we loved it. We, we loved it. It's loved a great it. show. This is six episodes on Netflix, and it's the story of a police sergeant, David Budd, who's a heroic British Army war veteran, and he's suffering from PTSD, and he's guarding the home secretary, who would be what, our equivalent of the Department of Homeland Security, which, you know, well, there's nobody in charge of it right now, but (laughs) normally there would be someone in charge of it. And uh, but anyway, he's this brooding, tormented soldier turned security man. And it's a dark story, but it's great. Anyway, so because Emmy season is beginning here in L.A. already, they're starting to do screenings for shows that want to get nominated for Emmys. I'm an Emmy voter, so I went to this thing. And Richard Madden, the star, was the one that came out. After, they replayed the first episode. Remember that first yeah, episode, Joel? Yeah, that, that was great. Just, very te- the, whole, uh, the whole series is very tense. Yes. That's why I remember. Super tense. Just six super tense hours. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah. Anyway, this guy who is so dark and so brooding and so distressed on the show is like so charming and so light and so funny. Just another one of those British actors that you think, yay! <laughs> I just loved him. So they asked him about uh, what it was. He won this year's Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Television Drama. So they asked what it was like to win a Golden Globe. And he said, he said, I just remember turning to the side and Julianne Moore was sitting there, and I was like, this is already surreal enough. <laughs> he, said, he said, they announced my name. I look, there's Julianne Moore. I have no idea what's happening. And now I have to go up there in front of all the really, really famous people and do a speech. So he was very charming talking about that. Then uh, somebody asked him, apparently there's a rumor that he might be the next James Bond. So uh-huh. he was very, you know, he let us down gently. He said, that's, that's, a, that's a lovely rumor. That is just a lovely rumor. Uh, but who knows? And But then he said the most important thing to me is that he actually lives in Los Angeles now. So that's good news. I think the more, like, charming British people moving to L.A. to, like, help us, like, make Hollywood a little bit warmer, friendlier, I'm all for that. So I want to alert our sister Sheila. She want, might want to be on the lookout for, for Richard Madden because, yes. you know, she's really good at, at spotting celebrities. The only thing I would say about this event that was so funny to me is I was standing in line to get in. And there was a terrible first date unfolding behind me. It was oh, clearly wow. was like a guy who had a, had two tickets to this and a woman he didn't know very well. And it was clearly a first date. So and I'm in front of them in line for like 30 minutes. So you just you well, you guys haven't dated in a very long time. But just that super awkward conversation where you don't really know the person at all. And you're trying to start lines of conversation like at one point he said to her so do you know how to swim (laughs) and i thought oh oh my god that's just like he's reaching he's trying to to, i was being nice yeah (laughs) anyway so but he did say to her so have you seen this and she said no and he said i haven't either but i'm looking forward to it because i loved the movie and I'm thinking, oh. oh, dude, stop now. He, <laughs> and you know the Whitney Houston, yes, Kevin yes, Costner yes, movie? Yes, we know. It's Kevin a great. Costner, Whitney Houston vehicle. No, so, this that's so a great movie. It, it is a great movie. movie. It was a great movie. <laughs> so he's making the incorrect assumption that this is somehow, I don't know, they picked up where they left off. I, I and And she obviously knows he's wrong, but doesn't want to tell him he's wrong. She's like, oh, you know, my mom saw this series. She really liked it, but she didn't tell me that. It's like, oh, <laughs> anyway. That was kind of her. It was very, she was being so kind. They were both trying hard okay. to find each other interesting. Good. So I just hope she didn't get in there and figure out, well, I'm dumping this. Now that I know Richard Madden lives in Los right. Angeles, <laughs> that's, that's who I'm going that's for That's a funny story. Anyway, if you have a chance to watch the series on Netflix, it has nothing to do with the Whitney Houston Kevin Costner movie. Um, Okay, one other entertainment note I wanted to mention is uh, on Safe for Work this week, which is my other podcast, which is Career Advice, a satellite sister is one of our guests. Cindy is a longtime listener, and she wrote to us because she's 62 and she just got laid off from her job. Oh, no. So she's starting, looking for something. Cindy, thank you so much for calling in. It was really, it was great to talk to you. You seem like you're in pretty good shape, all things considering. So I just wanted to thank all of the Satellite Sisters that listen to uh, Safe for Work. Thank you for subscribing and writing in. And if you if you are so motivated to share with your own Gen Xers and Millennials, I think we, Rico and I managed to cover the range of questions from people who are in their first job to people who might be wrapping up their careers. So anyway, Safe for Work. Uh, Cindy's on this week, so thanks, Cindy. It's an all que- it's an all advice show, right? Yes. All questions. Yeah, this right. we have no Listener interviews questions. this and week, you, and you really don't need to have a job to enjoy the show. That's oh, what good. I like about. Okay, it. okay. <laughs> but it helps. Isn't that how the ad goes? <laughs> all right, we would like to thank our sponsors for Satellite Sisters this week. Thank you, Rothies. Thank you, Kopari. Thank you, ZipRecruiter. Thanks to Abby Ellen. Duped is the name of the book. You can still pick that up if you haven't had a chance to read it yet. Thanks to Sergio Enriquez for making our show sound great every week. We appreciate it. Uh, Let's see. What's on our to-do list? Here's what's on my to-do list. Nothing. Oh. 
Well, that sounds good, I've Leah. been very, very busy since August 1st. I will be able to reveal why shortly, but now I'm doing nothing. Yeah. Good looking forward for to you. That. Looking forward to that. Liz, how about you? Well, you know, I have the giant hole in my bedroom ceiling because it never <clears throat> rains in Southern California except this winter when it rained all winter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying to myself, well, there's no sense fixing it during rainy season. I don't know why, because... It really doesn't matter, does it? So now, now that we're... I can't even address that. <laughs> I don't okay. have enough time what left. If, what, what's your plan now, sister? Well, this Now that you've let all the rain come in, what's your plan now? <laughs> well, the problem is, the reason I've been putting it off, besides just sheer laziness, is it becomes an HOA issue. Because the first... And you know how dysfunctional my homeowners association yep. is. Yep. The first time my ceiling caved in, like five years ago... I just repaired it and paid for it myself because it was just too much trouble to, like, get the HOA insurance involved. But I really refused to do it a second time. So now I lay in bed and I look up at the hole every morning. I'm like, oh, man, just going to have to open that whole kettle of fish, like, reach out to mm, dysfunctional HOA board and try to figure out what's the process for fixing my ceiling. So I've been dreading it, but it's time now. Sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good. Well, you know what you need, Liz, because it's on my to-do list. Is you need a baked empanada. That, <laughs> really, that will cheer up the board. Yeah, you can. You know, you can get all different kinds, and that's on my to-do list as well as it's Urban Nana in Dallas this week. Uh, my daughter-in-law is on a business trip, so I this I am very busy this these afternoons. I have school pickup. I've got swim lessons. I've got gymnastic drop-off. And I've got to make some uh, empanadas or uh, score some empanadas for dinner. <laughs> score them. Okay. You know, as sometimes I have flashbacks when Urban Nana talks about like 15 years ago at my house. Sometimes she stressed me out, Urban Nana. <laughs> You remember what those years were those like? Those were busy, busy afternoons. Whoa, you know, it's it's like it's three intense hours between school pickup yeah. and when my son comes home from work. Yeah. yeah. Well, good luck. Good luck. Yeah, okay. get yourself some empanadas. Mm-hmm. All right. We want to remind you to follow us on Twitter or Instagram. We're at Sat Sisters. Please join our Facebook group. We would love to have you. Just search for Satellite Sisters on Facebook. And most of all, share us with your own Satellite Sisters, should you be so inclined. Rate and review. Yeah, Rate and review please. the podcast. Apparently that helps. And I only know that because they say that on all other podcasts. All other podcasts say that. We never say it, but so We go. just trust you to do it. Yeah. So thanks so much. <laughs> Rate and review and share us with your own Satellite Sisters. All right, sisters, have a great week. You too, Leanne. You too, Leanne. And don't forget, call your Satellite Sisters.